foodie. 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 From the Not A Foodie Studio, which is many video conferences and it's in the cloud call. now, it, it, it cloud. doesn't exist in this world anymore. <laughs> it's not actually a studio. It was never really a studio. Well, it was a studio for a little while. It's a Not A Foodie Show. That's the worst, longest intro that we've ever done to this show. It, it's fine. It's uh, making up for two or three months of no podcasts. Well, um, I'm Tom Mialli, and with me as always is... Mike Miranti. Mikey Pomodoro. Yeah, I forgot. Mike has a new alter ego, Mikey <laughs> Pomodoro. He's got a logo and everything. And uh, <laughs> a contract, uh, end of August, August 23rd, Sunday, I'm catering a pop-up in bed Follow me on Instagram, find out more. I'll drop the address later, at Mike Miranti, M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-T-I. So there you go, at Mike Miranti. Um, that wasn't even an ad read. That was just off the door. That That's good because you're starting a pop up. You gotta, you gotta be a marketer. You gotta know, know it all the time. Mike, how have you been spending your quarantine? I'm going crazy. So I like, yeah. like I'm in significantly worse shape physically and mentally and in every other facet now than I was in March. But I'm much, I'm much better at making pasta. <laughs> I'm um. So I feel like the first two, three months I was, you know, doing fire pit cooking and I was making everything from scratch. And now I've progressed on to, I just feel old and beat up and tired and school is coming. And then it's like, there's this, this wave, like not a virus wave. There's this just giant tidal wave that's getting ready to crash all over me. And I'm, crash. I'm I am beat up. But, me, dear. We're, oh, don't, don't, oh. <laughs> I'm going to ban, I, like, I don't ban anything from this podcast, but I will ban Dave Matthews' <laughs> ban. I don't, I don't think we've ever talked about, like, oh, <laughs> the gross that I feel about the Dave Matthews' band. No, so bad. <laughs> anyway, Mike, I up your skirt a little more. Show your world to me. How are you? Um, so I'm really... Putting a lot of so I've been doing two main things. I've been volunteering with this domestic violence nonprofit in Harlem called We All Really Matter, uh, Warm. Warm. And uh, yep. New York One just did a really great piece on us, and we're starting this Take Back the Block initiative. We're going to do one event um, a month for August, September, and October to reach out into the community. Um, not uh, we like to keep things light here, but this summer particularly is a very bad summer for gun violence in the city. So we're trying to just like spread some love into the community. Um, So that's really exciting. And then the other thing I'm doing, which is more for me and not for uh, philanthropic reasons is the catering. Uh, And I'm doing um, pasta orders, uh, private chefing events, meal prep, pop-up stuff, pretty much however someone wants to pay me to make them food is what I'm into right now. Nice. Nice. Well, I, I mean, that's sort of where I am, except I don't get paid. I, I make lots of food for my family, and they're, they're very happy with, uh, with being quarantined with me. You have to put them to work. I, my son, um, so I'm, I'm in the city right now. My son and I um, just 
spent the day watching uh, hockey and uh, making food. We're having we're having some salt and pepper ribs tonight, uh, slow cooked in the oven, but we're using liquid smoke because you know it's rainy out, and we decided we're not going to do the whole. We've smoke been thing. we've been using the Komodo way too much. Oh yeah, we're just. Oh, uh, it's, I ran out of charcoal like month two of quarantine, and we've been hoarding it now. So. I, I'm surprised you haven't just done a impromptu pig roast. I, you know what the problem? So one of the things is that we are quarantining. Our quarantine pod early on consisted of my my in laws who moved down. They bought a house um, close to us before any of this happened. So. They've been, you know, quarantining sort of in, in our pod. They live down the road from us. And, you know, we because there we opened our pod to them, we had to also open up the pod to my parents because you know how that thing uh-huh. goes. So, you know, our pod is, there's a lot of uh, septuagenarians. Is that how you pronounce that? Olds. Olds. Yeah. So, long story short, um, I... I'm like, we're, we're sort of still like hard quarantining because we've got this group of like, you know, at risk people in the group. So we're not just like, don't I'm see not them for to... two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just tell them, Hey, sorry. Two weeks. Can't see you. Got to do a pig roast. Not going to happen. Hoping <laughs> so, like someone who's never been married. Yeah. Facts. Um, so anyway, so yeah, no pig roasts. I was thinking about doing a giant paella. Oh, you know what I found out? So I have um, at our house out on the North Fork, we had our little neighborhood meeting and I showed up to the neighborhood meeting. It was like everyone showed up with lawn chairs and masks and we were all sat six feet apart in the middle of the street, you know, and uh, we closed off the street, had our little block meeting like we do once a year. And um, I found out that uh, I am not the only paella person on the block. There's another, there's an old couple that live down the block from me, and they have like a 28 inch paella. How big is yours? 36. Oh, no, okay, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, we're gonna have, you know, a paella off at some point uh, out of my house on the North Fork. But anyway, speaking of, I feel like I'm setting the tone for this interview that we just did, too, which is very like um, apocalyptic, I would say. So, Mike, why don't you set it up? Because this is is a real, it was a fun conversation. And we had some really great guests, and that's what we're going to play for you now. But it all happened because of Mikey Pomodoro and his uh, and his Twitter. So I'm at the point now where I believe there's no guests that I can't book via Twitter. Like, like maybe like I can't get like Chrissy Teigen, but like pretty much anybody in the food world, I think I, I can just book at this point. So that's good. Um, our now dear friend Allison Robicelli was on Twitter talking about um, how upset she was in the 80s that she couldn't go find a Red Lobster in Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, there's one in Queens. And then we got into the chain restaurants of the 90s. And I was like, oh, Alison Robicelli, famous pastry chef and food writer and all around cool person. Would you come on my podcast? And she's like, hell yeah, I'll come on the podcast. And then her friend Eddie McNamara, Eddie McNamara, who's also a really cool, very talented vegetarian chef, native New Yorker too, came on. And like, it was supposed to be about New York City, like dining and changing, but it was kind of just about like New York City changing. Um, This is definitely our most New York episode ever. 
I almost want to like start a separate podcast with the four of us and call it Four New Yorkers Kvetching. Because that's <laughs> I feel like if you don't know what kvetching is, then you then you don't deserve to be able to listen to the podcast. It's like, like gossiping, but not like complaining. Like yeah. it's yeah, it's like a mixture of gossiping and complaining. Yes, uh, but I mean, I so I love. Allison Robicelli and I love Robicelli's and her husband Matt and, and it's um I've been following them and their story forever. They Allison is Brooklyn born, Brooklyn raised, um, owned Robicelli's bakery in Brooklyn was like gained a lot of notoriety early on in the food days of like I guess the late nineties early two thousands because um because of the flavors of their pastries. So like really great cupcakes, making things that are just, you know, completely awesome. And she turned that into a really successful business. Right. Um, and then the economy crashed, gentrification was happening in New York and she, her, her husband had health issues and it was, it became like, she lost it all. I mean, there's no, there's no nice way to say it or like, you know, putting a, you know, put, putting lipstick on it. I mean, she just, she lost everything. She was broke and she came back from it. And it's, you know, the podcast that, that we recorded is about that. It's about the struggles of New York. It's about the, the changing city. It's about the changing restaurant scene, the changing dining scene, the changing food writing scene, food celebrity, all of that. And then Eddie McNamara is, former Port Authority cop um, that writes about, so he's, he's written vegan cookbooks and vegetarian cookbooks and they're really awesome cookbooks. And the whole premise is just because it's vegetarian doesn't mean it has to be crap. And he's not a preachy, like you need to be vegetarian. So he makes really good flavorful stuff. Um, But he also, he was, you know, uh, a a responder during nine 11 and he writes about PTSD and mental health. So this whole episode was, yeah, it's a food podcast, but like this whole episode went in 20 different ways, which I found insanely awesome and weird and fun. And just, I, I want to just all hang out and talk forever with these guys. So I agree with you for, for New Yorkers kvetching. I like that title. (laughs) There's also like a whole Andrew Lloyd Webber segment. So, oh my god, I forgot about that. We talked about that quite a bit. Now and forever. <laughs> All right, so, if you like <laughs> the tagline for this episode is, you know, if you like PTSD, 9/11, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Red Lobster, Beefsteak Charlie's, and the depressing apocalyptic world that we're in, listen to our podcast because that's what it's all about. <laughs> all right, Mike, I'm I I think we should just roll the interview. Yeah, it's long enough. So, All right. Roll the interview. Go. I'm going to start recording this again. Yeah. Mike, go ahead. Tell the story and then segue into the introduction. Yeah. So uh, um, about a year ago when Tom and I were doing the radio show, Tom told me the only food podcast better than ours is the Robicelli's and I should listen to it. So I've been following you for about a year. Um, and then I just saw you tweet out about red lobsters in the outer boroughs. I was like, nah, there's always been one in Queens. And then we, we got into, uh, eighties and nineties chain restaurants and how it's totally flipped now. I swear, like 
I remember when I was a kid and we'd see these commercials and my dad calls up a Red Lobster one night. My, fa my father, I don't speak with my family anymore. And you will hear stories why. Um, so my father is like a Sicilian guy from Bensonhurst. And he calls Red Lobster headquarters and they're like, oh, there's one in Long Island. And my father finds this a personal affront. And he's like, wait, wait, wait a second. He's like, you're telling me. He's like, I've lived in the New York since 1953. And you're giving me ads, and I can't go to your restaurant. What kind of, and he goes off on these people. He did this for every time he was on the phone with any restaurant, ordering takeout, whatever. Um, so I remember very vividly in like the early nineties, there was only one in the middle of Long Island. And my father probably made a customer service representative cry. Um, Oh, good. So, yeah. They should have given us the red lobster. Maybe he's the reason why the one in Queens exists. Is that They're the like, possible? This guy from Brooklyn just keeps calling us. Let's just put something near him, shut him up, and be okay. Is that on Queens Boulevard? Yeah. Because right, I remember going there at some point, maybe in the late 90s, and they had an armed security guard. That's what I remember. So, so my thought about Red Lobster is this fucking place has an armed security guard. Like, like what's about to happen in Red Lobster? Like, I just want unlimited popcorn shrimp. You know, I'm a seafood lover. I've been watching these commercials since I was a kid, jealous of these fucking suburban people who get to eat at Red Lobster whenever they want and, like, mad at my parents for not moving to, like, New Jersey or some shit so we could eat, you know, shrimp scampi and... and, and, and I felt so fucking stupid when I was a kid because I really wanted to move to the suburbs. And, Me like, you, you, you don't know what you have until, like, I don't know. I don't know, because then I got older, and I was like, oh, fuck the suburbs. Oh, fuck no. But when I'm a Are kid, I was like, like, oh, my God, they have Red Lobster out there and lawns and, yeah. like, again, yeah. the 80s, and it was really fucking dangerous in the 80s. So, you know, like, everything sucked in the 80s. I mean, I went to public school, um, and I went to public school, and, like, Eddie and I are both from the part of Brooklyn that – a lot of the city likes to pretend doesn't exist. I'm from Bay Ridge. He's from Marine Park. And, you know, like anything that the public schools had that was good, any kind of funding they had, always stayed in Manhattan. And the further out you went into the outer boroughs, the worse shit got. Um, and yeah, like we, we would have, we would have classes in stairwells and like there was no air conditioning back then. There was a lot, there was no heat in the winter because we had these cold boilers that used to explode every so often. Um, and then you hear your friends are moving to Westfield, New Jersey. That's where everybody was moving in the eighties, Westfield, New Jersey and pen pals would say, you look like I can go outside and I don't worry about getting, you know, shot. Cause we couldn't, we couldn't go on the subways alone when you're a kid, you couldn't go to the store. You were alone. I mean, shit was crazy. So the suburbs seemed like a place that you had freedom and unlimited soup, salad and breadsticks. Well, I will tell you as, so my parents, uh, my dad is from Brooklyn. My mom is from the Bronx. They moved to like, I grew up just west of the Queens Nassau border in Nassau County. So I was a suburban kid, uh, right? Like Islander country? Uh, total Islander country. I was like right down the block from the uh, Nassau Coliseum. Uh, I was like between Nassau and Belmont Park. That's where I lived. Uh, so oh, Fancy McDonald's by Jericho Turnpike. Oh, the fancy McDonald's. Yeah. I, I, fancy I, when, McDonald's. I was, when I was able to ride my bike, I would ride my bike up to the fancy McDonald's. I like the fancy McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. I took but, a road specifically for the fancy McDonald's. It was worth it. 
it's weird. It's just, yeah. it's so weird. Um, so anyway, I grew up um, wanting to go to Red Lobster all the time, not knowing that there was one, like maybe eight or nine miles from my house further out, like onto Long Island. That's and, probably the one that Mr. Bicelli uh, is asking about. I don't know, but all I know is that the first time I so my, my parents were my, my mother was from the Bronx, so you wanted lobster. It was like city the island. island. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. dad was Brooklyn, and my dad was always like, you know, oh, we got to go to Sheep's at Bay, we got to do this. And so I was always doing those sorts of things with my parents. We never went to Red Lobster. I went to Red Lobster for the first time when I was like 16 years old, and I thought it was the height of like fancy restaurant. And I walked yeah. in, and oh boy, was I mistaken. But yeah, it's um, it was nasty. Those biscuits are good, and I think I got sick. I think I got food poisoning the first time I went there. I mean, out of big chain restaurants, I think Red Lobster is probably the best because most of the stuff is so simple, you can't really fuck it up. Like steamed snow crab, shrimp. Like Outback, no, Outback can fuck up a lot of stuff. There's another story about my father getting us banned from an outback steakhouse in Diker Heights. <laughs> and he made a waitress cry. This is probably. Oh man, I gotta talk to my. I don't have a therapist anymore because all the ones I have quit on me. They say they can't handle it, um, and this is why I do podcasts. But uh, yeah, I um, Outback is a fucking mess, and there we go. So let's continue with the actual uh, subject. Which neighborhood? Because Queens Boulevard runs across the whole bar. Oh, okay. So it's like Regal Park. Yeah. It's like Regal Park-ish, I would call it. I'm from Forest Hills. Tom lives in Forest Hills when he's not out east. I live in Hamilton Heights now. But I've lived, like, all over central Queens. I've worked in Astoria. I have family in Howard Beach. So I'm, like, okay. super Queens. Because I'm, like, being from Brooklyn, I have no idea where any of the neighborhoods are. I know Flushing, where the Mets play. I know Howard Beach. That's where more of my people are. Yeah. I know Astoria. That's where the Greeks are. And then there's just a bunch of stuff in the middle. Is it by the Van Wick or the Jackie Robinson? It's right off the Jackie. Okay, great. Now I know where you're going. The cemeteries. They kept that shit yes. secret. They kept that real secret from us. Oh, <laughs> Central Queens. We, we just got concerts in Forest Hills like five, six years ago. And now people are learning about how great Central Queens is. Queens is all right. Queens is amazing. But remember from Brooklyn, I lived on the last stop of the R train. So I'd have to take it all the way to freaking like Second mm-hmm. Street and then get on that. Or. I got to drive either on the BQE or the Jackie Robinson or the Van Wick. I was never getting to Queens. Yeah. The subway was not meant to go from Brooklyn to Queens. Like yeah. you could but not do it. Can, but from like Forest Williamsburg into Forest Hills or into central Queens is pretty easy. But listen, I didn't want, I, I didn't go to Williamsburg when I was that. I mean, Williamsburg wasn't a thing. Williamsburg yeah, was no, where I, my grandfather lived to get everybody out of. Yeah. We, we go to Barry Park in the summer. I would go to Central Park and get busted smoking weed and van shell all the time. That was my that was my New York youth. <laughs> but, so many places besides the van shell to smoke weed. I mean, I feel like if you got smoking the van shell, you should say, I'm not going to return. There's lots of other places to go. But that's where everybody else my age was, and I was an idiot. So I think they're idiots, too. You could have said, hey, we get caught here. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah, I guess I was too timid. <laughs> oh, man. Well, this is at home why you need to grow some balls, kids. Because That's it. you know, you just get arrested in a band shell over and over and over again. I feel like the lesson that you've learned from the last eight minutes of this podcast is uh, 
is first of all, you have it pretty good in the suburbs if you've got access to a Red Lobster. Second of all, just grow some balls. Yeah, you know what? To speak on those two topics, um, I went to – Chris Rock does this whole bit in his act about the junior high he went to. And he made that show, Everybody Hates Chris, about the awful school he went to. And 10 years later, I went to that same school. So I hated New York. New York was was me fighting to keep my book bag and, like, fucking bike and starter hat from some other kids. So, like, I would watch movies, like – like fast times at Ridgemont high and just like get super jealous of people in the suburbs. I'm like, Oh, they can just uh-huh. go to like a normal mall. That's not King's Plaza. And uh, I know, I wanted to get malls. I wanted to go to like places that had lockers, like schools where you had lockers, like, you know, cause California was big in the eighties. It was like sunshine and like captains of the football team and people got cars and like all that shit. We didn't have any of that. No, none of that. Yeah. Too. I, I didn't blonde, have that either. So blonde. We didn't even have blonde girls. There were no fucking blonde girls in Brooklyn. Yeah. It was just whack. It sucked. Eighties Brooklyn sucked. I don't listen to anybody that tells you differently. Like even like okay, Defara Pizza is like local to where I to where I grew up, and that's the best pizza you know, in my opinion, in the world. It was dirty dumb back then, yeah. and none of us gave a shit. We didn't yeah. give a shit. And I wanted to go to Pizza Hut. I wanted a personal pan pizza in the fucking pan and. A crispy bottom, and I wanted to be like a real American. And stuff crust. You know, Pizza Hut is fucking great. Sit down Pizza Hut is fucking great. Yes. Yes. But it, I love it. Allison, you can't see. You can't see, but I'm holding up a um, a Pizza Hut plastic red cup right now that I'm drinking my coffee out of right now. Those red cups I, are the bomb. I just bought a whole bunch of those, but I got them in blue um, because they're cat proof because my cat has – my cats have broken every single glass I own. So, but they can't break the Pizza Hut cups. I have a Shakespeare's Pizza Cup. Uh, it's a chain in Missouri, and uh-huh. it was at, in Columbia, Missouri. My wife was there to like give a speech at the journalism school, and mm-hmm. uh, our friends, our friends are from there. Um, and uh, I went to the Shakespeare's Pizza place, and I was like, "Yo, those are the best cups I've ever had in my life." So I just bought like a fucking gross of Shakespeare's pizza cups. So yeah. yeah like everything too about like the suburbs, like, cause you know, we, we consumed this all on television, you know, and it just seems so much better everywhere else. Cause again, the eighties, New York was shitty. Nobody thought like in the eighties, you know, we were a joke. Brooklyn was a joke. Brooklyn has been the yeah. butt of everybody's jokes for like 200 freaking years. You know, like I mean, I was watching a Golden Girls like the other night and they're making fun of Dorothy. Like, oh, you know, she's so uncouth being from Brooklyn. We can't we can't all grow up as fine as the people from Brooklyn. Like we were like considered freaking like, I don't know. We were the worst. We were the worst. And Yo, I was just watching the, that episode. Yeah. I was just watching summer, that episode. Like, I mean, Brooklyn was fucking hell. And. Everything was like, we didn't think anything was ever going to get better. We never thought the crime was going to go down. Like when I was in fifth or sixth grade, we had like 2,100 murders in the whole city that year. And then we had riots and stuff. So we all wanted it to get nicer. But the problem was that once it got nicer, other people came in and took it from us. So we didn't Absolutely. get to anything. It's like, oh, hey, you finally cleaned up our hometown. We're not all scared of getting, like, stabbed on the subway. 
And then they're like, no, you know what? All this belongs to rich people from Ohio now. Get the fuck out. <laughs> wow. Well, as a as a kid in the suburbs, I looked at I looked at the TV commercials all the time, and I wanted. We didn't have a beefsteak Charlie's. Beefsteak Charlie's. I had none of those. I wanted oh, a beefsteak Charlie's. There's been stills. My mom talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't there. The other thing, like I, I was brought up watching like Channel Eleven. You know, there was the Milford Plaza commercial all the time. Oh, yeah, sure. And oh, I was like, that is so fucking. Awesome. Awesome. And then I walked past. Exactly. Then I walked past it when I was, you know, in my twenties, and I, you know, I was living in the city. I'm like, oh, that's what I was like idolizing yeah. when I was a kid. Um, yeah. But, but I, I feel like there was all, all of that. I walk by there every time. Oh, I do too. I do too. It's and I, I, I pass the Winter Garden Theater and I sing the theme to Cats, even though Cats oh. hasn't been there in twenty years, thirty years, whatever, however many Cats years. Cats just it got revived. Did it for the yeah, fifth time? Yeah, got revived like three years ago. It's the dead cat bounce. Sorry, that's a it's a term. I still can't believe enough people liked that musical. Like, I can't believe more than, like, 30 people on Earth ever liked that musical but, much. Okay, but you, the way that we as, like, restaurant food people, like, go to chain restaurants as, like, a joke, that's how Broadway people view cats. That makes sense. It ran for, like, I think it started when I was born, and it ran till I was yeah. in my 20s or 30s. I, I mean, remember the cats, car, the cats commercial. But it was super cheap to go to. It's like Chicago still runs. Chicago should not be on, shouldn't be shown anymore. It's a bad show. I don't know but that it's like, a bad show, but I do think it's something like safe. I think that no, Broadway people are like, oh, it's safe. It's like it's like when you come yeah. to New York and you want to go to the largest Bubba Gump shrimp company Wait, instead no, of it, it's in not Times a, Square. It's I'll not a bad you. show. It's like the source. Like just now, it's ran for so long. It's tired. It needs to like yeah. put down. Broadway was so cheap. <laughs> in the 90s that like I used to go with my allowance on like a bi-monthly basis just at the ticket <clears throat> and I saw Chicago when it was in previews I think I saw the third preview of Chicago from the second row and they paid $35 for that ticket wow I used to um, I think we all can probably relate to this do you remember that kid in your class in like elementary school that came in one day bragging about how their parents talked, uh, took them to see cats on Broadway and they had this big Wicked. day. Every, now, everybody heard, had that kid. You didn't have that kid? Everyone went to see Wicked when I was in school. Oh, man. Everyone went to go see Hamilton when you were in school because you're fucking that I young. Was but... in, I was not? a grown man. I was managing no, he's not really that. <laughs> I see Tom now. I just got a video of Tom. Yes, the rest the other two of you fuck it. But Tom and I are here. <laughs> Allison are going to have a nice conversation, Allison and I, and that's it. <laughs> but I, so I, I go ahead, Allison. Oh no, I forgot what the hell we were talking about. We were talking about cats a lot, but yeah, no, we're talking it's about not cats now and forever. Go for cheap, like for for thirty years, you've got to fill what seven, eight shows a week. Enough people saw cats and told other people you too should go see cats for thirty years. That is insane. So you think it was like a prank? Like people would fuck with their friends? If you are out there and you legitimately enjoy cats, I would like you to contact us. Like, please tweet at us and and tell me why, because I'm not, I don't fucking get it. Uh, you know what blew my mind was when I found out that Cats was based on a T.S. Eliot yeah. play? I had yeah. no idea. It's <laughs> not a play, a book of poetry. So again, what looks at a book of poetry about cats and says, this should be a musical? Like, I just wrote about yeah. Jesus. Let's write a book about obscure cat poetry. But and I think the story is that 
all the cats introduce themselves. That's it. The entire musical is like, I'm this guy. Look at me. I do these things. And I like lick myself and I prance. And like that happens like 26 times. And somebody says, oh, tonight a cat is going to get chosen and it's going to like die and go to heaven. And then uh, an old like gross looking cat comes out and she sings memory and everybody applauds. And then the cat dies and goes to heaven. And we're supposed to be happy about this. Um, Thank God I don't have to go see it now because that's, yeah, that's now I know the, that the best synopsis ever given on a podcast about anything. Yes. So that's essentially cats. And yet, you know, somebody said, this is a good idea for a musical. And somebody said, we're going to give you money for this. Millions of dollars. And then, like, people got excited about it. And then they went to see the cat murder musical. And I think it was just because memory was such a big hit. And memory was also always on uh, WPAT Easy 93, Easy Listening, which was playing in every store and office. So I think everyone in the 80s had memory, like, in the back of their head all the time. That's the only- the first song that I learned how to play on the piano was Memory. Yeah. Like I took piano lessons when I was like in third grade and that's the what's first song it? that I learned how to what's play. That's what's, that's 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 what's that? The guy who wrote it? Or the guy, it's an, an Andrew, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Right? Yeah. So like his whole thing too is like, he wrote Jesus Christ Superstar when he was like 21, right? He's like a prodigy. Yeah. 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 So he wrote actually, a beat. And then he's like, let's do some fucking cats. But it's like it sort of like predates American Idol because it's a cat talent show. So they, <laughs> is that what it is? It, yeah, dude, it's a talent show. It's like I am this kind of jellical cat, and then tell yeah. a fucking story about yourself, and this is my talent, and then they judge them, and one wins. It's like feline Eurovision, dude. It's yeah, the exactly. winner dies. The winner dies. <laughs> it's so fucking nuts. Funny. It's like. <laughs> I, my I, mind is blown. I have four cats. I love cats. I love cats probably more than anybody. And that 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 thing is a fucking mess. It's all a fucking mess. And I want explanations from everybody about why they went to see it for 30 years. And it's like a Mike Tyson fight. They just come right at you talking about jellical cats. And nobody knows what the fuck that is. And there's a whole song about jellical cats, jellical cats. And you're like, what the fuck am I like this? I feel insane. I feel yeah. fucking insane. I'm gonna have to watch the the Taylor Swift one the now. Movie, I had no desire. It's a, it was a badge of honor that I had my whole life. <laughs> you gotta watch cats. You gotta now. I now I need to watch it. You, you need to. It's 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 like it's like yeah, it's like American Idol of cats. I yeah, I had a plan to like uh, just take a bunch of like edibles. Like I don't I don't I smoke weed every day, but I don't actually get high like ever. It's like for pain and. The screaming in my head as society collapses on itself like a dying star. Um, but I was like, I should just get like balls ass fucking trippy high and watch this movie. I feel like it's yeah. the only way to appreciate it. Yeah, I've never done yeah. shrooms. And, you know, I, I'm sober. You know, I try not to like, do things like this. But I think for cats, hmm. like, maybe, you know, it's a mushroom. I feel like that could either be the best idea or the worst idea ever. I, if you're going to shroom and watch cats yeah yeah i don't know everybody keep your phone number and if this happens i'll just facetime you guys and you could live through it with me it's going to be a thing awesome yeah it's a live tweet tweet that um (laughs) this this has gone off the rails but i love yeah yeah i I have like a serious point about like chain restaurants in the 80s versus now and that's in the 80s you couldn't find chain restaurants in the city 
And I remember in like 2005, when I finally got to go eat it at Chipotle, I was super like psyched for it. And now they're all just fucking everywhere. And restaurants and local restaurants are dying. And apart, there's a lot of contributing factors to it. But I think especially now in this like pandemic world, everything's going to be a QSR and sit down restaurants are dead. Oh yeah, no, everybody's fucked. Everybody's beyond fucked. I mean, and when, when I closed up a couple of years ago, like even though a whole bunch of stuff happened with my husband getting sick and this and that, but like we were looking at, oh my God, I saw the other two of you. Oh my God, I see everybody. Hey. Everything makes sense. What a fucking day. All right. So um, what was I talking about again? I was talking about- Cats. No, we were, I, we were like, talking about cats. Uh, no, you were talking about, so you're talking about your bakery. Talking about the bakery. Talking about, you know, Mac and these sick. numbers and like you know when I started in the business when I was like 22 I remember the margins being like kind of sane and they started going down and down and down every year and like some of my friends who who own like sit down restaurants they were seeing like margins of like three percent and I was like well why the fuck are we like I could go get a job I hate that is a nine to five and make a hell of a lot more money than this, you know, like the freaking crumbs and you just keep looking into the future and you're like, there is no future here. And, and this isn't a system where line cooks are not being paid very well, not getting benefits. Um, servers are on tips. It, it, everything is dependent on like the weather. I mean, it's a, it's a shitty system and even that couldn't sustain itself. And if everybody's being honest with themselves, it's like, it's like, we all know we're going to die one day. But we're just hoping that maybe it's not tomorrow. And it was like, you know that this is dying. And you know something bad's going to happen. You know, like, because this can't support itself. It's going to fucking fail. And you're just yeah, hoping, I mean, like, like, even though you want the change, you don't actually want to have to suffer through this through the change. I agree 100%. I feel like this is, it's been a, it's been wait, waiting to topple for the past few years so, you know, the, the predicament that we're in right now with restaurants is not because of COVID. It's just sort of accelerated by yeah. COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything, everything that you talk about. Number one, we talked about, you know, the gentrification of the neighborhoods and line cooks and where are line cooks going to live? They're commuting hours and hours to go work mm -hmm. at restaurants. That's not sustainable because you can't pay them what they're worth. Talking about, you know, cheap cheap food products, the food supply chain, the food production yeah. chain, like those prices, the margins are just barely sustainable, really probably uh -huh. not sustainable. Um, so there's just all of these factors that are just, I mean, they're, it, are restaurants just dead? Are there going to be any more restaurants when this is over? When I, mean, when we I was in control. We would absolutely need commercial rent control. Uh, Did you guys see Danny Meyer? Yeah, yeah, he's back to uh, yeah, yeah. Fuck that. I, there's not a single person I've lost more respect for since coronavirus started than Danny Meyer. Yeah, there's not a single human being that I've had like really looked up to and have every ounce of respect. It's it's interesting looking at the guys like that with the big money behind them because it's like they are losing a shit ton of money, and it, like you have to think everybody like. Who's the guy who put up the money for this? Whose investments are fucking tanking right now? And what are they doing to ownership? And I'm not saying that this is an excuse for Danny Meyer or his decision. I don't know him. I don't know his decision making, this or that. But you have to understand, like, 
how how many people don't realize how many places this goes into. You know, this is not like just a very like line by line by line thing. You have fingers and finance. You have things about the food system. You have politicians. You have like Walmart and vertical integration. Like this is just an insidious web of systems that were ready to fail. And if they had all failed, maybe one at a time, we could have, you know, gone through some hard times, but we would have gotten through it in a much kind of saner way. But then coronavirus happened and suddenly everything got tipped over at the same fucking time. So you've got like these people who are like like hedge fund managers who are like losing shit tons of money in the stock market. And then they have restaurant investments and then they're going after the fucking commercial landlords because they can't operate the rent. And then the landlords are going to evict everybody. But then everybody's going to be homeless. So who the fuck is going to go into these buildings? And then, I mean, everything is so fucked. So fucked. And I don't think people appreciate how fucking fucked we fucking are. So, like, it's so easy to, to kind of say, like, address these very minor problems in, in the restaurant system, uh, which are definitely things we need to be talking about. Because when we come out of the other side of this, when we need to rebuild, we need to be doing it in the right way. But in the immediate future, I mean, I'm telling everybody I know, order as much takeout as you can, not because you're trying to support the restaurants, though you should be, but because you're never going to eat it again. Um, these things are going to disappear from us and we are going to lose them. And it is going to be very tragic. And we are telling ourselves in the same way the restaurant business did, let's just make it one more day. We'll deal with this tomorrow. We'll deal with this tomorrow. But, but I mean, smoke them if you got them guys. Cause yeah, like, no, I, I, I've so gone in my head. I've gone from how can this be fixed to fuck it. It can't be fixed. It all needs to burn down and be rebuilt. Yep. Like I just feel like that has that's where we are right now. All I'm thinking about is like how the next next stage, next step, how what things change to. Because I what the steps of service and all that shit, that's out the window. Like I could tell you steps of service for fine fine dining, moderate fine dining to like all the way down, and mm-hmm. it doesn't fucking matter now. I'm working part time at like a little bar and grill that has like 40 seats outside. And like, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Baltimore, and they just shut down the indoor restaurant again. Like everybody had opened up, and now they're closed. And if you have a street in front of you, that's great. But you know, like the idea, like you can you can social distance in restaurants. There's a reason restaurants need to be packed every night. You know, I mean, just the big hospitality groups will be able to weather this fucking storm that's never ending. And we're going to have every city will be large hospitality groups, Instagrammable dessert places, and boutique exercise studios. And that's fucking it. And salad places. And that's you're, you're, sweet. And, and he's even more optimistic than I am, which is, that's a feat. I'm surprised. But I, I, if anybody was going to do it, it was going to be you. You know? Like, this, like there's a pizza place across the street. I love this place, right? It's, it's, it's a decent corner of New York slice. Plug them. They're gone. They're done. I mean, there's no fucking uh, way. You know, there's no, how are they going to do this? How are they going to make it through this? You know, people are terrified to go in there. It's, 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 it's just, I, I can't see them unless they have, and they just bought the place, uh, you know, uh, in business. 
And I don't know how they're going to make, I don't know what kind of reserve cash they have to weather this storm, but it just, you know, it's just, it's almost no point coming to work. Well, let me ask you, what do you think, what do you think if this all, when this all blows up, I think we're all sort of under the impression that this is all just, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Like restaurants are just going away. What we see as dining, what we see as everything from fine dining to local pizza shop stuff, like that's going to be completely radically different in years. Like, like what is something good that we can take away from this? And when we're talking about like a rebuild, we also need to consider before we just talk about rebuilding, the restaurants that we're going to be rebuilt building aren't the restaurants we have now because we are going to be uh, on top of all the other fun stuff. Remember, we're not just talking about numbers. We're talking about real lives and we're all going to be so emotionally scarred after this. Um, I, I cannot bring myself to eat in a restaurant and now, and I don't know if that's ever going to happen for me again. Like I'd love for it to happen. I would love for it to happen, but like the more people you see dying and the more our governments collapse, like there's no leadership. I don't have confidence a vaccine's going to come out. And, you know, you're going to be kind of hesitant to, to be in these spaces. So psychologically, we're not going to come out as the same people we were before. Um, and that's got to be the consideration. So fast casual, fast casual was already doing so well because it's how it's what people want. I mean, people keep saying like the Applebee's and the, you know, the big chain restaurants will survive this. They went, they have not been doing well over the past couple of years. A lot of them just, they've been seeing decreased sales year over year over year. And because of that, a lot of them have taken a lot of debt to keep them afloat, keep themselves afloat. Or even a worst case scenario, when you have a vulture capital firm, like they come in, they just load it up with debt. And this is how Chuck E. Cheese has a billion dollars in debt. Um, so these things, some of, a lot of the ones that you know and love are going to are gonna go away. Chili's won't. Chili's is in great financial shape. I just want to give a shout out to Chili's. Good for you guys for being responsible with your money. Same with Chipotle. Chipotle is in good shape. But um, we're going to initially just see fast food and we'll see things like, you know, like the Shake Shacks and, um, you know, maybe Panera, if they can figure out how to like kind of convert their systems. But people are just going to want to take their food and leave and maybe be in a public space like I'm OK with being in a responsible world because maybe people will take this seriously once it really gets bad. But I'd rather be in a public space where like there's, you know, tables or whatever and everyone's staying in equal distance and you can almost picnic with each other and it'll take some time for us to kind of move towards that so you're going to start seeing a lot more outdoor concepts and pickup only concepts a lot of a lot of kiosks tons and tons and tons of delivery like i mean the role of the server might not come back um at, at all or it's going to come back as a, like a completely different position a runner it'll come back as a runner i think if it comes back as anything yeah. Bartenders, yeah, that bartenders are going to stay. I, I've been flirting a lot with pickup only concepts, and I feel like you could do like really high quality stuff in that space. I mean, you're going to have to completely, price. you know, which is interesting for chefs because you know you're you're so used in your mind to saying like, well, this is the one model we work with. So you're not, you don't really have to think like. Well, if I do this, the quality will suffer. No, you have to work within the boundaries of what you have. That's that's really what we need to embrace. That you can't just focus on what you've lost. You've got to focus on what you have and how you make that work. 
So your, your style of cooking is going to change. Like I, I love the pickup only concept because it's a closed sterile environment if it needs to be, you know, you can really kind of control what's coming in and out of that kitchen. Um, so I mean, again, it's going to be a lot of sanitation issues. And there's another reason why mom and pops will suffer is because you trust chains in some way. Like, even though like your McDonald's and stuff is gross, you know, that they have incredible, like, top-down, like, you know, supervision. Like, McDonald's takes care of their freaking restaurants and will take a franchise away if it gets gross. So you think it's sanitary. A mom and pop, you don't know what's going on back there, even with the health inspections. So even, so you're not, this isn't like a very conscious thing that you're doing, but in the back of your head, this is why you see the same restaurants and you go to the same restaurants at every truck stop. It's familiar. You've already, they've already kind of gotten your trust in a way. So... God, I don't know what we're going to do because I really don't. I mean, this is terrible. I mean, I think I think the, the role of the server is is all but, and I've been thinking this for years, is all but finished. Even, um, you know, in like Austin and L.A., you'll go into a restaurant and like, you know, just like a Torchy's Tacos or, a, you know, someplace like that. You'll order your shit. You'll sit down. They'll put a number. They'll deliver it. There's two runners on the whole shift. Um you know, nobody's, t- you know, there's like not tipping on that. You tip at the counter and it's, it seems a lot more customer friendly. And then you're in and out. You don't have to like, you pay first, you don't wait around for a bill. And uh, I've eaten in a bunch of places like that. They do very young, um, you know, diner wise. And I think that's going to be the sort of the, the way we're going. And I also think, um, Comfort food and super healthy food are the only two areas I, I, I'm seeing people care about at all. I'm just eating cold cuts out of the bag most nights. I'm going to be honest. Like oh. if, it's not, if I'm not recipe testing, it's like I'm eating fucking salami out of the palm of my hand and like some of provolone. And that's it. Padma Lakshmi, probably like two, three months ago, tweeted, what's been your comfort food through this? I'm like, Bags of shredded cheese, Padma. Yeah. Like what? What else? <laughs> like I, I, I'm like I am not cooking for myself. I am not cleaning for myself. I am in a fetal position on my fucking couch. Do not make me get up and do anything right now. I mean, listen, you do like I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a recipe writer. I, I like being in the kitchen because it's kind of like my space, and there's like kind of focus there, and I love what I do, but. For the love of God, if you just emotionally can't do it, just don't do it. It's okay to like live off sandwiches right now. I mean, I eat peanut butter sandwiches every day for a week and you just, it's a great sandwich. There's lots of, you know, peanut butter sandwich, glass of milk. You really can't beat that. Um, You know, just, just eat as you can. Like, all right. So now I got to segue into another depressing topic because as a recipe writer, where we think food is going and and there's a reason comfort food is also going to come back. Um, another thing we need to be concerned about is recipe writers and chefs, et cetera, et cetera, is that these jobs are not coming back. A lot of them, or they're not coming back for a long time. And we have, we're going to have astronomical unemployment for a long time and no relief. Um, and people aren't going to have the money to go out to eat anymore. They're not going to have the money to go buy crazy ingredients or like feast on beef and things all the time. Like they're not going to have the money to maybe like buy organics or like treat themselves. So 
I mean, I have, I mean, I've been poor, like too poor to get gas to drive the kids to school before poor. Um, and Eddie, Eddie is the, the child of immigrants. Like he knows like how these people, they still survived amongst the worst of times with like 27 kids. Cause there was no birth control for Catholics and, and they made it work. So we also, as chefs and writers, need to remember that because it, it's, it's hard enough to remember, it's hard enough to deal with everything else going on. Feeling like you're being excluded from food because you're poor, we don't need that right now. We don't. Oh, I am, I'm disgusted right now. So I'm lucky that I was able, this, for, for those of you that think I'm a millionaire from the Not A Foodie podcast, you're wrong. I make no money from the Not A Foodie podcast. I have a job. Luckily, that job. I also make no money from the Not yes. A Foodie podcast. But luckily, both my wife and I have been able to like keep our jobs and keep our salaries and just we're, we're doing well through all this. And the other night I said, you know, like there's a there's a restaurant out by me that has really great social distancing. Everything is like off by itself. And we were both like, we should go out to dinner for the first time in forever. And I, I was looking at it. I was like, I can't bring myself to do that. I can't bring myself to go have like fine dining when mm. this shit is going on everywhere. And knowing that, knowing that I'm one of the lucky, it's, I don't know if it's survivor guilt or what, but it's just some, I, I, I it feels irresponsible for me to do that. It's really true. It's um, my best friend uh, owns a fine dining restaurant in Troy, New York. It's called the, uh, Pex Arcade, it's one of the best spots in the in the state. And he, in the beginning of COVID, said, I, I, I don't want this country to be in turmoil, everyone to be unemployed. And I don't want to be the person with the fine dining restaurant. So they converted it to Donna's Italian, which is like um like a red sauce palace. And it's you know, the price point is is is, is so much lower, and the food is just comforting and fucking delicious. And people have taken to it in a way that, uh, you know, is, is really uh, kind of in, in sync with what's going on right now. And, uh, you know, and, and, and it's that comfort. It's that, you know, it's, it's that, like, who the fuck is going to pay for fine dining? Like, who's buying a ribeye, you know? I think Me. fine dining, crazy enough, is going to be one of the things that comes back. Um, because there's, they are people who are going to be doing very well at this time. So they're just going to be like, you know, you have the people who are doing things like selling short and like, you know, preying on everybody and stealing all the money. The money's not going away. Like they're just taking it all. So those people are going to want to go out and they'll be fine. And then everything in the middle disappears and then you have soup kitchens. So, you know, again, like if you're going to build a restaurant concept or something, how are you doing it in a way where you can also be sustainable because after this climate change is coming for our asses so you need to be sustainable and pay ethically and afford your rent and be able to provide health insurance because the government's never going to give that um and then also make it as cheap as possible because so many people don't have enough money to eat out so how do you fix that I don't know. That's why you guys are on as experts. All right. So I, I don't know. I mean, like, if, Go ahead, Eddie. If you fix to, it. If I have to do a hot take on this one, the way to fix it is: what the fuck is Australia doing? Because if Australia figured it out, why the fuck aren't we doing it? Because tax the billionaires. They have to the take their money. It's real. It's real easy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, I, I it's know. and it's you know, 
It's everyone has healthcare they're provided for. Uh, I was talking to a server and they, they bring over the thing when you, you know, you put your credit card, you chip in. And I was like, what's standard tipping? And he's like, I make $27 an hour. And everyone's on salary. And he's like, you don't need to tip. I make $27 an hour. And I was like, shit, you know, this place. They, they, and, and now the price is a little bit more than, say, a mid-range restaurant in New York. A mid-range but restaurant. Is it after tip? After tips? Like if uh, you went there and tipped 20%, is it as much as it would have been in about, that same style restaurant? It seems like it's about. Uh, so then it's the same thing. Yeah. And then places – right, exactly. So when people give that excuse that like it's no one's ever going to pay this much for a burger, Australians totally fucking pay that much for a burger. They pay that much for laksa and pho and, and, and they do it happily. And the, the servers make a living wage and they have health insurance. So – Let's fucking do that. Let's be Australia. Yeah. One of the nice things about Australia is that it, because it's so it's it's a it's an island. You know, you can't rely on all the cheap shit coming into your country. You have to rely. It's it's really expensive to get things to Australia. So there's a there's an emphasis on things being local, things being sustainable. They they are, they're already past that. Yeah. That you know, I was just there a few months ago, but before this whole thing, that was like one of my last big trips, and I've got a bunch of friends there. And, you know, it's amazing. There's no debate on a plastic straw. <laughs> like, you just, they're just not there. They're, they're gone, yeah. you know? I mean, and I think that's something that we got to get reef. through. They, the, the Great Barrier yeah. Reef, learn from that, but the majority of um, Australia's economy is the agriculture sector. So, um, you know, they do keep everything local. But the reason that they're also paying the $27 for the burger is because, you know, their health care is taken care of. Like they have, you know, a, there's less of an income gap or a wealth gap. Um, you know, th- people are treated better. And as long as we have just all these crazy fucked up systems that we have, it's like, why did other countries figure it out? Because they figured everything else out. You know, th- this is, again, like I keep saying, it's so much bigger than us. Like, uh, you know, we want to keep food cheap. But where is it coming from? It's coming from these horrible fucking vertically integrated like farms. And if anybody's been following what Tyson has been doing recently, I mean, they're all bad. All these people are really, really bad. But Tyson has been like the horrible, like like Mr. Burns times a billion sort of evil sort of shit. <laughs> so how are we going to be able to feed all these people who don't have any money and and in a way that is sustainable without having to go to these big ad things. You know, we, we have to kind of buy into these things that are going to be killing the planet to survive as a, as a restaurant industry or, or survive as like a, just eating. I mean, everything. Yeah, people need to be able, people need to be able to, people need to be comfortable with paying, you know, $10 more for your chicken. Um, yeah. because that it's not sustainably raised now and it's not sustainable, not, not for the environment, but just for the economy, for people, for human capital, it's just not sustainable. It's not a sustainable system that we have. Yeah. yeah I mean, like, and, you know, as, a, as a vegetarian cookbook author, I'm going to, obviously my position is, uh, firmly against, uh, the entire industry. And even if there was no, um, harm done to animals, just the way the workers are treated in slaughterhouses and these places would uh, make me stop eating meat. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that everyone stop eating meat, although I wish they would. But uh, 
make it a luxury instead of a you know uh, some kind of 1950s uh i put meat on the table three times a day you know bullshit and uh you know that's that's uh that's my serious shit really is uh like people need to wrap their head around even restaurants need to wrap their head around good meatless meals and and they don't do it it's such a fucking afterthought well i think actually now that you said that i'm thinking that that actually could be the big change because you know vegetables and stuff they're cheap sources of protein you know and even if we have to get from these like big big like ag sort of like you know, produce things, it's not as bad for the environment as what meat has been doing. So, and it keeps the price point low because vegetables and beans and shit are cheaper. So that really is going out of necessity will be sort of where food is going in a way. Um, and meat just like when people start eating more like that out of necessity, like that's where we could start shifting stuff as chefs and recipe writers. Like give more, give more recipes to that. Start publishing more of that. Put more of that stuff on your menu as a chef. That will get people excited about the food. Because if you give people the option and they taste it, you know, it's they get excited. And tastes tastes have always changed in this country. Taste like we don't eat turtles anymore. We we used to not eat because most places in the world they don't eat meat at every meal and they don't eat it seven days a week. I mean, we can have a, a sea change like just based on the way that the kind of current is taking us. We are not in control of this situation. The situation and the virus and, and the collapsing economy is in control of us. So if we just kind of go limp and see where the tide takes us, we need to work with that. We need to work with where we end up with what we have. And I think it's going to be youth driven. I mean, I think that's where the, uh, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the shift is going to be. And I think, um, I can't. I can't remember the statistics, but I, I, I was running up about it. The amount of uh, people under twenty-five who you know consider themselves plant-based or vegan or vegetarian is, you know, it's like it's like fucking forty percent or something like that. And that was, you know, that's you know when people are young, they'll often experiment with it. But that was sort of the one bit of good news I think I've heard in a really long time. Yeah, and I think yeah. Eddie, what what I love about what you've done, uh, I love about your book, and you know, just all of your stuff, is that it doesn't it doesn't have to be the steamed vegetable platter option at, right. at the restaurant. Like it's like it's good shit. Like I, I mean, with that, I was thinking about it today, knowing that you were going to be that we were going to be right. talking, and I was thinking about it. Like yeah, for lunch I had you know a ham with some cheese, but like the past two or three nights I've had uh, vegetarian. I didn't even realize I was doing it. And it's just because I had a pasta, you know, one night and I made some zucchini frittata this morning for breakfast. Like, yeah. it's just shit that I cook because right. that's sort of the mentality you get, you know, you get into when you start really, you know, understanding this, this thing. I just this girl like that I know? They are all vegetarian. Like, I didn't even think, oh, we need more meatless recipes. It's just like, I only eat meat really. When I'm out, or if it's you know for a recipe, I don't gravitate to that stuff as much. And Eddie is completely right about things being youth driven, because right now us being older and having all this experience in like this other world, it's kind of like how how Eddie and I grew up before 9/11, and we understand in New York in a world that was before 9/11, and then after that, our kids will always think about restaurants in the way before. We're going to think of all of our systems in the way before, and it's very hard to unlearn that. 
My kids are 12 and 13, and this is very profoundly normal to them at this point. It's just how it is. And the younger that kids are, again, this will be the only thing that they ever know. So they're going to come right out of the gate just being like, okay, so, you know, we're eating more beans and like alternative sources. And like, we know about climate change and it's really undeniable because things are actively happening as we speak. I think like another big part of the Arctic just freaking melted, like a big ass piece, you know, because the hits never stop in yeah. 2020. Um, so we're just going to have to like in ways build enough of a foundation that they're going to be able to build on it. Because my kids are the ones that are going to be able to fix shit. It's not going to be me. I mean, I, I I think Gen Z is fucking fantastic. They're so cool, aren't they? Are they they're, they're so much cooler than us when we were. Oh, in high what are you? What are you, Mike? Are you Gen I'm Z? I'm a millennial. You, no, I'm you're a millennial. millennial? I'm, like, I don't I'm know. Like I'm And I'm Gen X. Yeah, I'm Gen yeah. X. Yeah. 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 I'm a millennial. I was the one. I was like the millennial who really wanted to be Gen X when she was a kid, but I just missed the cutoff, so I got screwed out of everything good. And then I got to be a yeah, full millennial. Just like, God, all you fuckers are so annoying. You're one of us. You're a Gen Xer. You're a fucking Gen Xer. I'm, also. I'm like Gen Y. So That's Gen Y. Right. But these, these, I, these young people are fucking amazing. I mean, they're out there. They're out there leading these protests, like legitimately, enthusiastically trying to change the world. And, you know, there are big issues that are being dealt with. But why doesn't it become a big tent thing and food systems become part of the big tent of what needs to be changed and how we can start over after this destruction pandemic, you know, it's going to Tom and I on the show, we talk a lot about food insecurity. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Matt Jaswiak from rethink foods. His whole thing is eliminating food insecurity. He was on our show. And then the domestic violence nonprofit I work with uh, warm. We partner with Jose Andres's world central kitchen okay. and we hand out meals all over Harlem six days a week. I mean, I, I um, volunteered at, for two years at Holy Apostles. I think it's the biggest in New York, second biggest in the country. And we would do uh, 1,500 sit-down lunches. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was legitimate food most days. Some days were, it was a little bit meatless money kind of sucked. But the other days it was, you know, it was legitimate food. And 1,500 people in Chelsea sh- are showing up. And, you know, you wouldn't. I didn't like it when some some people would come in and be judgmental because they would be like, oh, look, you know, um, brand name, so-and-so. And And it's like, if someone's coming to a soup kitchen and winning online, don't fucking judge them. Just fucking Mm -hmm. give them their meal, you know, tell them to have a good day and, you know, be there. And, uh, and, and, and it, it is a, it is a fucking problem, food insecurity. Like, you know, if, if, if you were trying to do it on, three or four dollars a day i mean it's doable but you know you get sick of rice and beans right yeah and it's it's yeah well i've been food insecure like i opened up my business like right like a couple of days before the everything went to fucking hell in 2008 like like a week before the crash i essentially lost everything like by the time everything was like like done, I had just gone from like having money and no debt to having no credit and shit tons of debt and relaunching my bakery with $30 and fucking quarters, like in going to Costco. It was like, you know, you go hungry, but then at the same time you're on Twitter, like putting on appearances and like skipping meals to like, you know, feed your kids. And then the whole like Brooklyn food scene started happening. 
um, uh, which we got swept up in. And like all of us, like, I mean, I, I'm not going to name names, but a lot of those companies, we were like kind of hip and, and we were in magazines. And, like I, I was in a centerfold in New York magazine and like we were on TV. I can't tell you how many times so many of us were not eating or skipping meals or like bagging up like our food at the end of the night to exchange it just so we had like stuff to eat because you take all your money and you're paying all the bills on the business and you're paying your staff. And like, you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, like the wages, I wish I could have paid 10 times the amount. I wish I could have given everybody we want these things, but people would not pay like, like $10 for a cupcake. They just won't do it. Right. So, you know, and you just, you have to keep up appearances. And then when my husband got sick down, like, and he was out of work and I was freelancing and we ended up on food stamps and it's, it's so terrifying, like being on food stamps because you feel everybody looking at you and like, you can buy anything on food stamps. And I remember one time buying something like I was buying shrimp, which was expensive and somebody giving me like a really dirty look while I'm doing it. And I'm like, it's my son's birthday. And I only bought, bought it because it was his birthday. And when you're, when you're food insecure, you're doing everything you can to let your kids know that nothing is wrong. You're trying to make the world seem like everything's okay. And you're trying to make your kids seem like everything's fine and make things seem normal. And I'm like, I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want my husband to be in and out of the hospital every fucking week. I don't want to be like holding all this shit together and like trying to deal with like raising my kids and making them sure that like they think that their dad's not going to die. And then making sure my husband doesn't die and making sure the bills are paid and this and that. I don't need you looking at me because I had to fucking use food stamps to pay for shrimp. So my son could have a special fucking birthday. And that is just, we still have that stigma on people. We still do that. And we have to stop because it's going to happen to all of us right now. And it is not, your fault if you are food insecure guys i need to start wrapping this up because i've got kids that need to go eat some food so i'm this is this is awesome i don't know how the fuck i'm going to edit this but i loved having the conversation hey guys thank you so much for listening to this week's episode uh if you are interested in coming to my pop-up once again it's going to be in bed on august 23rd uh, follow me on Instagram at Mike Maranti, M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-T-I. I'll be serving chicken parm sliders and vegan eggplant uh, meatball sandwiches. So keep an eye out for that. Can't wait to see you guys. Thank you. Mike, are you doing any um, to-go orders? Because like, I'll place one and come pick it up. Yes, everything, whatever. If you want to give me money, we'll figure it out. Spoken like a true restaurant whore. I love it. Uh, yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the Not A Foodie Show. Go check out Mike's stuff. Go check out us all on Instagram, uh, at Kimi Alley, at Not A Foodie Show, at Mike Maranti. Um, Mikey Pomodoro, is there? You, first of all, I, you're going to have to change your voice when you talk in the Mikey Pomodoro voice. No, it'll just be a hate crime. <laughs>